Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host, Charlie McCarran, and I started this show because I wanted to share insights from other composers and songwriters about making music. You can hear all these interviews at ComposerQuest.com. We're approaching the end of Season 1 of Composer Quest, and there's a lot of fun stuff happening in the next two weeks. We have two episodes left after this one, one with electronic musician Torley, really fascinating guy with over 800 videos talking about creativity and music production. And also coming up is my interview with Dimitri Tomasco, who is a brilliant theorist and teaches composition at Princeton. Next Saturday, we have our Composer Quest concert, May 11th, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can either check it out on a live web stream at ComposerQuest.com, or you can come in person, which is obviously cooler if you're in the Twin Cities. It'll be at Yoga Soul Studio. And you can check facebook.com slash composerquest for the event details. Also at the concert, I'll be announcing the second ever Composer Quest Quest. If you've been listening to the show, you know that the first quest was to arrange pop songs for the Twin Cities trio, which is bassoon, oboe, and clarinet. So we got a bunch of submissions, and it'll be exciting to hear them performed live. So thanks again to all of you who submitted arrangements. And I hope you guys will be excited to try out the second Composer Quest quest. In this episode, I got to talk with theater composer Candy Billick. Candy and I both went to Stillwater High School here in Minnesota, and we crossed paths briefly in the orchestra room. She was in the better orchestra at the time. But now she's out in California in a film composing program. Candy still has musical ties to Minnesota, though. The Savage Umbrella Theater Company is going to be performing her new opera called The Golden Carp. It was a pleasure talking with Candy about everything from making a synthesized orchestra sound good to the ASCAP Expo and Katy Perry's speech there to some general music business tips like grant writing. So I hope you enjoy my talk with Candy Billick. Candy, thanks for joining me here on thanks Composer for having Quest. Me. So you moved out to California from Minnesota. Yes. We left early May two years ago. You and your husband? Yes, my husband Nick. So what was your reason for moving out to California? I really loved working in the Minneapolis area as an artist, but I also kind of felt like I was never going to make any money doing that. Not that money is like the everything, but I wanted to be able to really make a living, and I wasn't seeing that as a theater artist in Minneapolis. So I was thinking about like, oh, I really want to get more involved in film, and I'd always liked that anyway. And so I'm going to UCLA. They do a lot of certificate programs And it's really, it's as much work and in-depth as a master's degree, but it's just not called a master's degree. It's a certificate, which I'm fine with because that makes it a lot less expensive. (laughs) Um, Nice. But yeah, so I've been doing the film scoring program and I graduate in mid-June. Did you do undergrad music composition? I did, which was really good, but also does not prepare you in any way for the real world of music making, or at least the one that I got. And it was very centered around esoteric concert music, which is, as it turns out, not something I'm terribly interested in. So you're mostly interested in composing for theater and film? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I really like 
composing for other media film video games theater theater i think is still the thing that i've enjoyed doing the most you have the opportunity to get involved very early in the process and get to know the other people who are working on it the characters the motivation behind what everybody's doing whereas a lot of other projects you kind of get thrown in at the end after everybody's made all of the major decisions and they're more worried about how you fit in and hoping that you don't screw everything up for them, <laughs> you know, based on their previous vision. Whereas if you've been along with them the whole time, you have that time to build up a trust and they think, okay, yeah, they understand, they get this and we're all going to be okay. Your most recent project, your opera, The Golden Carp, what's the story about? It's about a fairy who doesn't feel like she fits in with the other fairies and she meets this fish and falls in love with the fish. But the fish's secret agenda is he wants to eat her to get her powers. And so it's this very weird relationship where he's trying to convince her to come into the water and tell her that they have this beautiful love together. And her trying to tell other fairies, like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And they say, no, you can't do this. This is a bad idea. Is that a story you originally came up with? Yes. Or is it? Yeah, it started out as a really short story. I had an idea to write a few short stories and collect a few short stories from people that I knew to record a spoken word and then write underscoring for them and just release it as a sort of album. And then the more that I worked on this little story, the more I just wanted to make it bigger and the characters started changing a lot. And then I started hearing songs in my head and it just sort of kept getting bigger and bigger and I thought I want to make this an opera and I forgot all about my <laughs> CD project. I noticed on your blog that you've also been doing, uh, I want to get the term right, synthestration. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, synthestration so, is a funny term. People call it different things, but basically it means you're trying to imitate real instruments with samples and make a performance that sounds as real as possible. And it's a really fruitless endeavor <laughs> in a lot of ways because you're never going to make it sound like live instruments. Well, the sample you had on your blog of Jupiter, mm -hmm. that was really convincing. tools do you use to do that? I use Sonar as my DAW, which is not very popular out here because everybody's obsessed with Macintosh. But I really like it. I think it's a very powerful tool. And the samples that I've been using are just from East West, the Symphonic Library, the Platinum samples, but not super complex stuff. And that's one of the things that I've also been realizing is that it has a lot more to do with how you know your samples and how you use them more than it does which samples you have. Although it certainly helps if you have better ones. Sure. How much little minute tweaking do you do 
of those samples? A when- lot, yeah. The first thing that I do is I play it all in with a MIDI keyboard. You know, a lot of the timing is bad, if for no other reason than I'm a terrible pianist. And, um, <laughs> and so then I go back in and I start shifting start times of notes around and ends. And sometimes I actually go through and do a quantized function, not 100%, but a partial quantized, which just lines things up against a grid. If you're sloppy, it can help it just get more in time and sound more professional. The problem with that is every sample has a different attack to it. So if you quantize something 100% so that on is exactly on a beat and then off is exactly at the end of something, that sample might still not line up with other samples because they take longer to speak or get to the fullness of the note. So you really have to sit in there and listen and drag things around a little bit. Uh, And the more that you know the samples you have, the faster you get at that because you know like, oh, my violin patch is always slower than the flute patch or something. So I'm gonna drag them all back a little bit. But um, so there's a lot of that. And then going back and doing expression, which is another controller to sort of crossfade between samples so that you don't have one static note all the way through it can transition from something softer to something more intense and back down so there's really it's a lot of work to make it sound good have you ended up using those synth orchestra sounds for some of like any film scores or video games or anything like that? Nick and I just finished a project a little while ago. He's been learning a new programming environment, I want to call it. I don't really understand these things when he tells me. I just smile and nod and let him do his (laughs) thing. But um, Loom is sort of poised to take over where Flash is leaving off. I'll put it that way. And so he ported a puzzle game that he did a long time ago into Loom, and then I wrote a little bit of music for that. So what kind of things are you learning in Uh, grad school that you maybe didn't learn in undergrad? I think a lot of it has been reinforcement. Sometimes the first time you hear something, you don't quite get it, or you think you get it, but it doesn't all click. And so a lot of the things that I was getting in undergraduate are all just suddenly really clicking together and making a lot of sense. I took counterpoint as an elective, which I've taken before, And I remembered doing really well at it, but I also couldn't remember anything about it, and my notes were really terrible. (laughs) So I thought, well, I'll take counterpoint again. That could be fun. And going through the centuries of how counterpoint has worked makes all other music theory all of a sudden make a lot more sense because you realize how they developed the mentalities that they had about why five has to go to one if you're talking about chord structures. Your other theater project 
that you worked on leaves? Yes. How'd you go about writing the music for that? Part of it was that we had a budget (laughs) for two musicians. So I started thinking about, you know, what can I do to make this full enough and really support the cast with only two people? And uh, Brian Grasso, who is one of the co-creators of the show, along with Laura Leffler McCabe, had the idea that he really liked strings. And so an obvious choice became, well, we should use guitar because guitar can do a lot of stuff at the same time. And I just sort of decided that I would play viola. And we wanted it to be more of a pop-ish sound. So I started writing out songs. And one of the songs that I sent to you, Into the Wordless, I think I did three completely different versions of it because I wasn't happy. And I was thinking, gosh, this still sounds really weird and doesn't fit in with the idea that we want for the show. And I just sat down at the piano for a while and said, scrap this. I'm not going to think about the words. I'm just going to think about pretty chord progressions and play them around. And at some point it just fit. And I thought there was some part of it that sounded a little bit like a Beatles song but was definitely not a Beatles song. And somehow that was a measure of success in writing, <laughs> writing yeah. a nice piece of pop music. What was different about the first two versions that you didn't like? The very first version sounded like something that one of my professors would have made me write in college, which was all music I hated. And <laughs> but there was still sort of a part of me that was trained to make that. I think it would have alienated everybody. <laughs> and it would have gotten a lot of bad reviews for the show. They'd be like, yeah, there was all this pretty stuff going on and they had an actual tree on stage and the lighting was beautiful. But there was this one song where people were supposed to be happy and joyful and I thought someone was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I saw that you went to the ASCAP Expo. I did. What is that like? It's interesting. They have different panels where people speak about their creative process or sometimes just how they got to where they are, which can be interesting. And sometimes it can turn into an hour of, don't give up, keep holding on to your dreams, <laughs> you <know? laughs> which is kind of inspiring. But also, you know, you hear it 50 times over a weekend, it gets a little, <laughs> you think there must be more than having hope. <laughs> what do <Yeah>. I do? <laughs> But no, it can be really cool. I think it's very useful for people who collaborate on songs because a lot of hip-hop people go there, a lot of singer-songwriters. It's less useful for, I would say, if you write concert music, you're not going to get anything out of the ASCAP oh. Expo. You'll, you'll just wonder why everybody's screaming over Katy Perry. <laughs> who was their, their big speaker this year, by the way? Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's definitely more pop oriented and I was surprised by that the first year I went and then I realized oh that's where they get all of their money from are these people who are who are playing that stuff there's very little comparatively in concert music and of course they don't collect anything for theater performances so that's not represented at all but there are also a few film composers who do panels they talk about something that has recently gone into theaters and their process for putting that film together and that can be really interesting, too. So there are some fun things about it, but it's it's also a lot of, like, follow your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> what did Katy Perry it. have to say? Um, follow your dreams. 
No, she was pretty funny. I was actually surprised at how down-to-earth and intelligent she is. She has a very plastic persona, I think. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't seem like that at all. And it was interesting to hear her tell stories about when she was trying to get into this and just acting like she was somebody all the time, even though she wasn't, and going to a restaurant where... It was really expensive, but she was meeting all these important people at the event, and so she ate before she went. She got a tiny, small salad so that she would be eating something in front of people, and then everybody decided to split the bill, and she almost lost it, because she's like, there's no way I can afford this, and I went into this trying to, you know, not break my budget or something, but it's... So it's... It's interesting to hear from somebody who's so big now, who still remembers like those little things and how she got to where she is. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. How about your future? What do you envision yourself doing as a career in composing? More things than I can probably manage doing. I'm interested in a lot of stuff. Obviously, since I've been doing this film program, I want to write music for films. And video games especially. I'm really interested in video games because I think it it appeals more to the theater person in me and that you're creating this mood and it doesn't necessarily line up exactly with stuff. You just have to provide the material that can react to what the person is doing. And also, I took a songwriting class actually as one of my electives and it really renewed my interest in songwriting. It's something that I've done for myself for a long time, but I don't usually show anybody else the lyrics I write because I think maybe they're really dumb and really self-serving or something. But in this class, we all passed out our lyrics to everybody, and it was interesting to see that people actually responded well to what I wrote. And I thought, well, maybe this is worth actually putting out into the world then and, and doing it. So I'm not, I'm not going to try to be like Katy Perry, but I would like to release a couple of things and just see what happens. I had thought I might keep this song just between you and me, but then I thought someone might choke on their vomit from all this sap. Can you imagine that? So I'm here on my mountaintop singing to the valley below. They would like to write another opera which I know is ambitious having not finished the first one yet but um, I have some ideas about a few different fairy tales that I might adapt one of them being the 12 dancing princesses are you familiar with that story at all no there's this king who has 12 daughters as you do in fairy tales (laughs) they're always like super tired in the morning and their shoes are worn out and they need new shoes and the king is trying to figure out what's happening And so he issues this proclamation that if some guy can sleep in the bedroom next to theirs and figure out where they're going at night, he can marry any one of the daughters he chooses. But if he can't figure it out after three nights, he dies. 
as you do in fairy tales. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. And so the story is mainly about how this one guy comes and, you know, he's nice to some old cranky lady on his way to the palace and it turns out she's a witch and she gives him this magical cloak that can make him invisible. And so he follows the princesses and it turns out they have this secret tunnel under one of their beds and they go to this underground palace where they have a dance party every night, which is, you know, where the title The Twelve Dancing Princesses comes from. How would you imagine that sounding? Um, like me? (laughs) 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 Well, I, that's, the reason that I think this is ambitious is because I really think about a full orchestra for that. Like, I want to do these huge dance scenes, you know, ballet used to be a much bigger part of opera than it is now, and and I want to just make this thing that's a huge spectacle with all these dancers on stage to some crazy waltz. I love writing waltzes, I don't know why, but it'd have to be be a cast of probably like 50 people. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know when I'm going to have the the means to produce such a work, but but I can write it in the meantime. How do you think you would go about that if you were going to try and get an orchestra to perform an opera? I think I need to keep writing other small things and just make more connections with people who can help me make that happen because as much as it is a reachable goal, putting something together as the composer is a lot of work and it's a very different skill set from the writing that you do. If you don't have help, I think it can be very difficult and a much longer process than it needs to be. So meeting some of the right people, searching out opera companies, like I may just have to find a state that has a particular opera company that really likes doing new works and is experienced at getting funding for them or, or, you know, has a really good audience base and seeing if they're interested in doing it. Do you have any grant writing tips? Sure. Be very clear and concise. If you have somebody else read it over and they have to pause anywhere to think about what you've said, you need to edit it because these people are reading through tons of applications. And if they can't grasp what you're saying right away, they aren't necessarily going to move on like, oh, next, you know, recycle bin or something. It's just you're not going to stick out as clearly in their mind. And they'll be in a better mood while they're reading your piece, which you feel like shouldn't technically matter. But it does matter because we're humans. So write very clear and concise. One of the things that I thought was great, I heard in a grant writing workshop from, I believe it was Mary Ellen Childs. She was saying, don't be afraid of bullet point lists. If they're asking, what do you want to achieve? You don't have to write a flowery paragraph. You can just say, bam, bam, bam. These are the things that I want to do with it. You know, I want to reach this XYZ community of people or create a work that speaks to this particular human experience. And that stuck out at me because I thought, gosh, I would have thought bullet lists were completely inappropriate and unprofessional. (laughs) But it's actually helpful in a lot of ways sometimes. Yeah. Well, your piece, Proximity, Mm -hmm. how'd you compose that? I think it was one day in December, I was just feeling kind of down. And there were all these crows outside that were just constantly cawing. And I sat on my piano and just sort of wrote something about how I was feeling in the moment. (laughs) 
I sent it to one of my friends just saying, I wrote this thing, I recorded myself playing at the piano and I think you might like it. And he was listening to the crows that he could hear outside too and he said, this is really kind of scary. I almost feel like it's within the proximity of violence, like something is about to happen. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's not what I meant, really, but but that's a really cool idea. And so that's the, the name that ended up with the piece. And then I, I did a nice recording of it where you can't hear the crows. And so I don't know if it lost anything without the crows or not, but... <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll have to have a revised version. Yeah, maybe. I'll I have, have a lot of crow recordings, if oh, you're really? interested. Yeah. There's been some gangs of crows hanging out around our house. Yeah. And I just went out one day and got as much crow sounds as I could. That's awesome. Actually, the entire four-block area around my house was... Every single branch on every tree was filled with crows. Oh, gosh. And the the scary thing was they weren't making any sounds. It was at night, so uh-huh. it was all just these silent crows pooping on everyone's cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the next day, uh, went to the gas station, and there were people, like, scraping crow poop off all their cars. Oh, and- that's so awful. <laughs> That reminds me of mayflies, too, though. I can't remember what summer it was, but there was one year when they were really bad, and I would just see people at gas stations, like, fighting with swarms of mayflies so that they could put the you know, the gas in their car. Yeah, like <laughs> It's a movie but, waiting to happen, I think. Yeah, right? <laughs> Candy, do you have any final composing thoughts, tips for people out there? Follow your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> no. Best advice. That seems to be the theme of this episode, I think. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, no, I guess do work. That's my best advice. I think one of the worst things that I heard when I was in college was don't write something unless you have a commission because it'll never go anywhere if you don't. And at the time, it was sort of like this professor telling you who you think has real life experience and you think, oh gosh, I should listen to this. And this is really depressing because I write music for myself all the time and what if it doesn't go anywhere? But you can make your music go anywhere. Just write it and keep writing because that's how you get better. And that's how you meet other people too, by writing with them or writing for them. And don't wait for that magical bus to come and take you somewhere. Cool. Well, Candy, it was really fun talking to you. It was really fun talking to you. Thank you for having me on your, your podcast. It's exciting. Yeah. The other thing that I challenge my guests with, Uh-oh. every episode I ask the guests to do some sort of intro theme Okay. For the, for the episode, inspired in some way by our conversation here. I have to try hard to take this seriously and not write some awful thing that's like, follow your dreams, follow <laughs> Lyrics are acceptable. (laughs) So I I hope to hear something very, very inspiring to listen to. Very, very inspiring. (laughs) All right. I'll write the darkest music possible. Please quit so there's more space for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's the worst (laughs) mindset ever. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining me on this episode of Composer Quest with Candy Billick. 
You can find more of Candy's music at candybillick.com, and her last name is spelled B-I-L-Y-K. If you've been enjoying Composer Quest, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at charlie at composerquest.com. Maybe you have an idea for a guest, or maybe you would have an idea for a quest we could do. So that'd be cool to hear from you. You can also contact me at twitter.com slash composerquest or facebook.com slash composerquest. And if you could spare a minute or two to write an iTunes review, I'd really appreciate it. That would help boost the visibility of the podcast so that other people out there can find and enjoy the show. Thanks. I'll leave you with one of Candy Billick's electronic pieces called Drive. Thank you.